as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Check out his book that he's going to write soon. And then we got Jonathan Mark. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Yeah, I'm actually working on a serialized novel for Kindle Vela right now with new episodes every weekend, usually Friday this week, Saturday because of the holiday, called Monster Shark on a Nude Beach. Yep. So <laughs> if that title sounds good to you, you'll probably like the book. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way. And lots of other stuff, of course, too. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to let John start us off on our personal favorite movie soundtracks. I'm just going to be very casual, just kind of dip around, see just which ones just come to our minds. Like, yeah, I just want to work out to that song, or it's just so epic, or I want to, hell, maybe I even want to sing along to it. It can be a bunch of just different artists that contributed to this song various songs that actually complemented the movie as opposed to just being cheap cash-ins to sell an album or it can be actual just like scores from the film composed by a music group or music composer yeah i'm probably going with mostly scores so how are you going to start us off man johnny five what you got (laughs) well for me i'm going to go first with a score of course because i figured i would at this point and it's one that I've always felt was one of the more underrated action scores of the 90s, which is not a lot to talk about, from Hans Zimmer. And that's his whole score from Broken Arrow. Woo! <laughs> Interesting. He uses a lot of rock music and even other kinds of different percussion throughout it, which is very unusual for his style. 
it kind oh, of yeah. started. And it's very like Western inspired, you could tell, particularly in the main <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and <laughs> it's so wild because I, I, you look several times at it, it's like, is Mark Mancino or Trevor Raven from Yes on there somewhere? <laughs> I swear it sounds like the scores from those same other blockbusters that were out around that same time. <laughs> I know how it feels that way. And What's funny is that that theme, as I mentioned, would later be used in Scream 2 a year later for yes. some reason. <laughs> yeah. Which that's how I knew about the score before I watched Broken Arrow. Right. Kind hilarious. of like how Universal used the Dragonheart and Jurassic Park scores in other movies. And so, yeah, it's like. Oh, yeah. And sometimes the scores would pop up in just foreign film trailers, like for the UK, which was even, even odder. It's like, okay. Uh sure why that is but okay <laughs> yeah trailers use a lot of a lot of film music that came from other places and there's even you know hong kong kung fu movies that have used like creature from the black lagoon as part of their soundtrack it's like right did they actually license that why did they do that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but right and, and universal used some of their classic monster scores to rescore films they brought to this country like Godzilla versus King Kong the original one so you can never tell and trailers it's nice when they get the the music for a trailer from a film that's kind of similar to the film they're doing though I can't think of any examples I, I know I've heard kind of Indiana Jones music in other trailers for other things that are they're you know at least they're adventure films but then sometimes you'll get one that's just wildly wildly strange and inaccurate too so broken yeah. arrow huh Hans zimmer did mm -hmm. you say yep Hans zimmer yeah he's and... really he's an interesting guy there's some of his stuff that i really like and then there's it seems like in the last i don't know five maybe ten years a lot of his mm -hmm. stuff is much more kind of tonal rather than motif or theme based so it'll be like yeah oh, yeah, that's my big problem with him nowadays. Yeah, you know, all songs, we don't stuff know same. how much that, stuff is left over from other scores, and he's just now using it. It's like, okay, well... I'm going to play a note on my keyboard. That's your score. And it's been weird seeing him try electronic scores with Amazing Spider-Man 2, let alone with Tenet recently, and it's like, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Tenet yet because of, you know, damn pandemic and that kind of stuff. That reminds me I need to check that out. Hmm. One of the scores that springs to mind of his that I've... It's kind of his, but it's also Klaus Batlet, who I don't know hardly anything about, but it's the original Pirates of the Caribbean score. Yes, and, yes. And it's like, I think Zimmer took a lot of credit for it, but his follow-up soundtracks don't have any of the kind of verve. Yeah, it sounds... They don't have any of that verve and excitement to it, I have written a lot of book chapters to pirate the original Pirates of the Caribbean, and I think I've got at least four out of the five soundtracks, and none of the other ones are nearly as good as that first one, which kind of harkens back to the old 1940s swashbucklers. It's got, you know, two or three really strong themes and then some underlying themes, but the the really exciting kind of dueling theme from it, it just it gets my blood pumping every time I hear it, so... Same here. Totally. I still think that's one of the last truly great scores we've heard the past few years, to be honest. Well, the, the other problem is 
I think I, would, just, I don't think I disagree with you. It's certainly I, my favorite for the past 15 years, probably. Well, and it seems like everything has to be a copy of a copy. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so we're seeing scores that sound like another hit movie that came out five years prior. So you can see why many people kind of got cynical with giant blockbusters after a while. Yes. It's too much. Yeah. Yes, although now, since we're talking about Zimmer and what he's done lately, didn't he work on the the first Wonder Woman, maybe even the second Wonder Woman? Second one, he did. Score? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. and Henry Jackman, I know, has been composing a lot of the superhero movies, and he was like a backup orchestra composer for some of his productions, I think. So. And yeah. I think Zimmer may have been responsible for the that kind of crazy... Wonder Woman theme that's kind of it sounds like a bagpipe. Oh, almost. that was that was Junkie XL. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he he started off composing on Mad Max Fury Road and video games like uh, The Matrix Path and Neo and and Deadpool he worked on as well. Uh, yep. Yeah, Run All Night and so yeah, he from that point on he's like he's going to he it, it, he would do the party music you hear in the background and then yeah you start doing all the heavy orchestra and it's like wow okay talk about a total different yeah because i do love that that wacky wonder woman theme it's played on a cello i've actually seen that bit i've seen it played and it's like that's a cello holy crap yeah whoever wrote it i really like that and i know zimmer was involved in the the uh, batman versus superman or was it the other way around i can never remember the <laughs> <laughs> that came or, out of that or is it the parody superman on top of batman i don't know <laughs> right i don't hate the film the way some people do i actually enjoy the longer cut better than the shorter one i still need to see the longer cut but i think yeah. definitely, I, I, can definitely I can definitely recommend justice league the new cut <laughs> yeah no absolutely that that too that's a much actually a much better film i didn't hate the first one it's just you know it's just okay right it was a sunday night movie you know it wasn't a friday movie <laughs> and you know i didn't hate it as much as other people we're talking yeah. about since we're talking about more recent movies we, i was planning to you know kind of backflash into the 40s and stuff. <laughs> hey that's fine i'm <laughs> but sure i actually really talk. like bear mccreary's i just watched this again the other night i think it's bear mccreary who did the um the soundtrack to Godzilla King of the Monsters. Really? A lot of, yeah, hmm. it's it's got a, light, a lot of grace notes from the Subaraya, you know, the original Godzilla soundtracks and stuff. And it's actually, it's quite good. I don't have it on CD, so I haven't actually been writing to it yet. But when I heard it the other night, I was like, yeah, he did this kind of really good modern riffs using a lot of the old, uh, the old Godzilla soundtracks. He definitely did his homework, and, you know, years just seeing him make all, he, he definitely, you know, we, we, we've talked in the past about uh, the guy who composed the first two Terminator movies and Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, yeah, Brad Fidel. Brad Fidel, and I definitely think he took inspiration from his kind of cyberpunk, kind, and especially Evangelist on Blade Runner, and so seeing him compose all that epic, you know, women shouting in the background and uh, just utter deep percussion that he did on Battlestar and the Terminator show is like, and he, even human target, he got a lot of jungle riff kind of music going in that show. And so it's like, yeah, I can totally see him 
I don't remember the score, but I do definitely do recall there being some songs like, yeah, that sounds like, yeah, totally, you know, yeah. Godzilla. Yeah, it was Akira Ufukube who uh, who wrote those all those Godzilla scores re- originally. Well, not all of them. He wrote like the really good ones from the 50s and early 60s. And oh, perfect. <laughs> late, later on too, and they're just they're iconic and and you can't go wrong quoting a really good original soundtrack. No, you know, no. You can if you kind of try to outdo it. Then like Harry Gregson Williams and Nick Lenny Smith were kind of the go-to guys for a while in every other Jerry Bruckheimer, Tony Scott movie. But then it seemed like other than Spy Game, they just kind of were just going to town on the electronic keyboard. It wasn't as interesting as seeing the visual accompanying it, I found. Don't get me wrong. There's st- it, you still should check them out, but yeah, they use. Yeah, no, of, I, I know what you mean, though. There's, they use yeah. some interesting, you know, down, 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 you know, and just rock kind of riffs. I'm like, wow, is this a fancy cop show? <laughs> what am I? I mean, right, local yeah, ones like exactly. The Rock and all. Yeah, I believe you uh, on that. Yeah, The Rock and uh, Enemy of the State scores are really good. Um, I, I definitely can recommend uh, Brian Tyler. Have you guys been following him? I haven't. Oh, so, is that the one he did Rambo and Expendables? Hey, that, he did Fast and Furious 4, but he also has done plenty of other movies. Like, he did the Jason Statham Jet Li movie War, and Sword Fight was one of his most downloaded scores. His score for Alien vs. Predator 2 got reused in the Denzel movie uh, Unstoppable. Oh, interesting. Mm. Uh, okay. But... Uh, he also scored Star Trek Enterprise and uh, currently is scoring Yellowstone, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So, uh, but John might know him especially for doing Final Destination Five as well as Iron Man Three and Avengers Iron Two. Man Gray. Okay, cool. Law Abiding Citizen and uh, Thor Ragnarok, Triple X Three, as well as the new version of the Hawaii Five-O theme. So. <laughs> Another um, recent guy I like is Ramin Shwadi. Yes. The, he did the Game of Thrones, famously the Game of Thrones theme. Mm-hmm. Are you oh, a yes. fan of his Person of Interest and Prison Break music? Person of Interest, we love that show. That was a dun, really, dun, really dun, good dun, show. Dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> he, he that. Still watching it as of right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, he also did... Uh, the recent Space Jam, as well as uh, mm. the first Iron Man, and I'd forgotten that. Uh, I think he, yeah, Pacific Rim, and I wanted to call him out. Westworld. I'm pretty sure is he the one? No, it's the other guy that I like. That's kind of a, a modern guy. Is Michael Giacchino? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his oh, yes. name right. Yes, yes, yes. But absolutely. I, I love his stuff and his. The Mission Impossible one he did, which I forget the name of, is the one that Brad. So intense. (laughs) What? So intense. So intense. (laughs) But it was it was also a brilliant. It's a really good score on its own, but it also has really smart quotes from the original Mission Impossible theme. There's a a point where they're going through a place in India, and he's like recast the Mission Impossible theme with with like sitars and Indian instruments, but unless you're really listening to it, when my wife and I saw it in the theater, I was like, hey, that's the Mission Impossible theme, kind of twisted around and distorted (laughs) and stuff. And she's like, oh my God, I didn't even notice that. 
because he's really kind of doing interesting stuff uh, with with the the original soundtracks that he was working with. And as I said earlier, I I totally love it when someone takes an original theme from like a television show that that is iconic and people know, and then plays off of it and adds that into a a really good score. Absolutely. And he even did one one movie that I'm not even a huge fan of, but I've always loved the score to it, which is Jupiter Ascending. Particularly the Trace scene. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, he's really been a great. He's been a good voice of a lot of the independent kind of movies, as well as uh, when he's not doing Star Trek or the Pixar's. I mean, he did one hell of a job with Rogue One. I was like, I thought that was John Williams, and like, because you know John Williams came back for the new movies. But one of the few complaints about that movie was that the score didn't feel as like John gave it his all, and it's like uh, that one is like that felt like a perfect tribute. Is like I could have sworn mm-hmm. it was John Williams, but yeah, he did the Mission Impossible's. He did Fifty Fifty, which was kind of a more somber kind of theme, just kind of more subdued. And it's like, wow, that's that was way subtle, and that's what that movie needed. You know, it's dealing with you know a guy getting over cancer. Pretty <laughs> right. And, I, I'm looking at his, you know, all the stuff he's done, and it's just like half of the stuff I didn't even remember he'd done. But I, you know, I love it. And, and as you said, Rogue One, I, I love Rogue One. Rogue One is one of my favorite recent Star Wars movies, you know, if not totally. my favorite. And my wife's too. It's just, you know, this one, <laughs> that one really hit it on all cylinders for us. And totally. He, he got on my radar just playing all the various Call of Duty games on PC as well as uh, The Incredibles. And so mm-hmm. it just kind of became that he kind of had a good... He was able to kind of, I guess you could say he was the best at doing kind of his homages and just giving them heart as opposed to just feeling like I'm just going to do my own kind of riffs on other, you know, orchestra scores, but not really, you know, become my own voice. And I think he has become his own voice because he just somehow is, you know, aside from whatever gig he's gotten, how invested he is, he's really good at just kind of just really just tackling some kind of emotion in it. No, he he really puts a lot of emotion in his in his work, and there's a scene at the end of Ghost Protocol. It's like the the I, I don't want to give it away for people that haven't seen it, but it's like the coda to the film with the the cast meeting, and there's kind of this bittersweet ending at the end of it, and yeah. that point in the in the movie where his music comes in and it kind of swells, and there's this feeling of loss and separation and stuff it, it chokes me up even when i listen to it sometimes it's it's so emotional and so well done and i'm i'm looking at his mm-hmm. list now and, and right after that he did john carter which i yep. love as a film it's totally underrated I do too. and his I score for it his score for it is just amazing and holy cow that's almost 10 years ago now Wow. Right. I know. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, they're going to make me feel old now. <laughs> how, how dare we like everything? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, you can't like that. They said that was a flop. Well, I loved it. <laughs> so you mentioned John Williams, though, and I probably have, there are two people I've probably written more stories and more books to than anybody else, and John Williams Woo! is one of them. And, uh, Bernard Herman is the other one, but let's talk tackle John first because. What's your personal favorite of his? I I can't even pick. So, 
right now. I, think, been, I mean, I got mine. But... I'm writing a shark book, so I've been playing his nice. Jaws One, <laughs> Jaws One Special Edition, and Jaws Two soundtracks kind of over and over again. They're gorgeous. How can you not love? Star Wars, the original mm-hmm. trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're lucky enough to have the box set of that. Well, hell, that's. I actually bought an album that had like his complete collection, like all his themes from every movie he'd ever done. So yeah, I mean, my grandmother always loved the Superman score, but yeah, uh, Superman I, is one I of became, his yeah. best scores. I think if you had to pick one that was kind of had all his stuff in one place, that's probably it. Oh, totally. And you just love it, and then you go back and you listen to his his TV themes and stuff. You know, I mean, he did the Olympics, you know? right? Yeah, no, he did the he did the Olympics. We were watching the Olympics, and my wife was like, "Well, that's his his theme from Los Angeles, and that one's his theme from Atlanta." <laughs> she keeps right. these kind of things in his in her head. God, God love her, and I all I know is that I love him. But you know, you even got like Jurassic Park. He did, which I love. Yeah. Jurassic Park theme I would quote a lot. Uh, I was just playing that earlier today. I swapped it into my Jaws music yeah. to give myself a break. <laughs> uh, I think that's one of his best one of his best scores too. Oh, totally. It's my favorite score of his actually. And uh, the Born on the Fourth of July has to be probably his most underrated. It's just the way that yeah saxophone just plays away is like God. <laughs> that makes that's me really to good. It's, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> Heartbreaking too, so I, that's not what I listen to a lot. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I, I guess it's somehow I don't know. I just kind of just really connected with me, just because I, I don't know. I just it, it's just because there's plenty of other people who are very talented, but yet whatever score they compose, when you see it in the movie, you don't know if it's because the movie wasn't perfect or if it was just that the actors were overacting in that scene where the music was playing, and it just kind of, you know. He he's been fortunate to not be in as many movies where uh, they it just reeks of melodrama. <laughs> he's, been, picked, he's done a he's lot of the epics. Good assignments, yeah. you know. I mean, it, it's helped that he hooked up with Spielberg early on. Uh, yes, know? and, and oh, I yes. like Spielberg. He's not my favorite director ever, but generally, you know, he's going to give you something to work with as a composer. But hell, I mean, I even forgot that he did the scores for Presumed Innocence, Stanley and Iris, Home Alone. Far and Away, which is a Ron Howard movie, as well as uh, Nixon and Sleepers. So even John Singleton's Rosewood. And I, I don't even know if there's even scores released to those movies, but I should check them out. Yeah, no, you're right. I should go back through his his whole list. And he did the TV series he did were kind of amazing, too. I mean, he did uh, mm-hmm. he did the Time Tunnel. He did the Land of the Giants. He I did, didn't know he did Time Tunnel. That's great. Yeah, he did. He did both versions of Lost in Space. The first one is kind of funky, but the second one, the second one is brilliant. <laughs> and I don't know if you watched the Lost in Space reboot or if, if no, you skip the that. beginning of it. But there's a they've got their their own little new theme. But if you watch the opening and don't let them say skip opening, <laughs> if you don't skip the opening, you get a payoff about halfway through where suddenly it breaks into that second heroic John Williams lost in space theme on their opening credits. And it's just when that happened, I was like, Oh my God, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) And it just elevated the whole experience for me because it's, you know, he did some of the best TV themes as well as some of the best movie themes. We could probably Uh, just talk talk about him 
for even the whole like Harry, hour. Even like Harry Potter, even. Right? That was him. That was kind of where my sister mainly knew him from, and I was like, oh, come on, guys. You know, Star Wars was one of the first epic movies we saw. We, of course, mm-hmm. we... But, I mean, that was kind of the, even just the fun of just why I even wanted to play a lot of the Star Wars games. Is like, after a while, you're going to hear a total, just complete track. You know, it's like, right. that's right. Mm-hmm. And now that is my favorite track, so when I would go back to the movies, you know, the first six movies, I would end up just being able to just put the pieces together. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I played this level where that complete track plays. And it's like, he, he would never he would never hold back. It's like, yeah. And the movie cuts away, technically two minutes into this, but we got three more minutes of <laughs> the rest of that score. <laughs> and that's awesome. And, and this Harry Potter score is, is great, too. And I'm looking up at my, I have a, a row of CDs above my computer that are some of my most played stuff, and I see his his uh, William score to Dracula, up right? Seventy nine, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Inferno and Black Sunday, as well as I mean, if you ever see Hitchcock's Family Plot, it's a very wacky kidnapping movie. And did he do that too? Jesus, yeah, I didn't actually know he did that. He kind of yeah. does some small like little piano, just enough to kind of invent the intrigue, but complement the comedy. <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> That, that's uh, I always thought that was interesting. Now you're that gonna I know, know that. how old I am now because I saw Family Plot when it originally came out. Oh, I saw perfect. Jaws when it originally came out. I watched Lost in Space when it originally came out. So I'm surprised he didn't do the original Fugitive score. That would have been a hell of a score. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. It, that's a really good score too, but I don't know. That was a fast thing, actually. <laughs> and the. Um, the, the Mission Impossible score was done. Yeah. Right? It was oh, amazing. I just had it in my head and then I forgot it. Uh, Lalo Schifferin, yeah. yeah. Who did, I think he did the score to Mannix, too, the old TV detective mm-hmm. show, Mannix. Have you guys ever seen that? It's an amazing show. It's got a I've great theme song. A uh, lot, lot hmm. uh, I always mixed it up with uh, Perry Mason. And I'm like, no, oh, Perry Mason different. had a car explosion. <laughs> Mannix had a car explosion at the start. <laughs> Man- Mannix was the one where it got thrown. Basically, it got kicked off at TV eventually for being too violent. <laughs> right. And every wow. person he's representing blown up, clearly. Well, and all the women came up to him, just like Captain Kirk on Star Trek. It's like, Jesus, okay. Hey, it was the late 60s and 70s, man. That's when life was like. Right. <laughs> but Lalo makes sense. I didn't notice that that score sounded familiar, but I, was, I, I, I think he scored some Bruce Lee movies also, if I'm not mistaken. Or... Maybe the American versions. Of he, he definitely did Rush Hour, which I thought was perfect. I was like, okay, that's a fun callback to his. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Espionage and adventure themes. Let me look him up. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Jackie Chan, so. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Although a lot of his films are rescored in America with kind of weird assemblages of stock music. They're fun. And the, the score is yeah. usually pretty good, but you look, hey, who did the score? And it's like, <laughs> there's no credit for it because they were cutting right. it together through, from stock music libraries. But it took people years it. to even just, yeah, I just say, hmm, what do we do with this? <laughs> we do a compilation. Okay, so, God, yeah, it is kind of a blur. He kind of just does a lot of a more obscure stuff all throughout, but I didn't know realize he did... Turn from the River Kwai, as well as hmm. the Deadpool, the Dirty Harry movie, as well as 
FX too. So Sh- okay, Schifrin did those. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, he was a really good composer too. I don't have a lot of his stuff, other than you know the Mission Impossible theme, obviously through Michael <laughs> Giacchino. But however you say his name, <laughs> Giacchino del Giacchino, Giacchino. I think that's how you say it. That's all the way I've heard it. So. Giacchino in a Tarantino film. No. It's... So the other guy that's my main guy is Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. Large, la, largely considered perhaps the greatest film composer of all time. I mean, he's, I think his first film was Citizen Kane, right? And his last film was Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. So you can't hardly bookend your career better than that, I don't think. <laughs> but what yep. I love him for is I love him for his adventure and fantasy films that he did. He did uh, Journey of the Seven uh, to the Center of the Earth with James Mason. He did famously a bunch of Harryhausen films. He did Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and Jason and the Argonauts, and just an astonishing array of really interesting films. He did a whole bunch. Nice. (laughs) He did Psycho with Hitchcock. He did a whole bunch of Hitchcock films. He did North by Northwest, which is maybe my favorite Hitchcock film and maybe my favorite Hitchcock soundtrack too. This Gosh, guy, you know, and he like like John Williams, he was one of these composers that wrote symphonies when he was not writing film music. So you can't go go wrong with Bernard Herrmann. Day the Earth, Day the Earth stood still. He did famously with the, you know, the weird theremin soundtrack and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. He was always mm-hmm. experimenting. Oh, look here, we got two episodes of Lost in Space. Okay, <laughs> he did. He had he had music he had done stock music done for the twilight zone that got reused endlessly and you can if you know herman's music you can tell that there's that kind of harp music that they play kind of eerie coming in and out of the episodes a lot that's clearly his work you definitely hear some of it in cape fear right oh definitely yep Yep. yeah that's another one he just uh you can't you can't go wrong with him this uh just bloody brilliant, as they'd say. Very well said. So let's talk about uh, Mark Mancina and Trevor Rabin. Ah, of course. All right, I'm drawing a blank, so you guys are going to have to They collaborated that. with uh, on this one Yes Reunion uh, album in the 90s. But yeah, uh, Mark Mancina, you, you know his scores from Speed, Speed Bad, Bad Boys, Boys. Uh, Con Air with Trevor yep. Rabin. And as well as uh, Shooter and Training Day, which I'm still pissed that he hasn't released the score to Training Day. I'm like, ah, that's a great score. <laughs> wow, is that not out in Europe or something like that? Sometimes right. Yeah, I would have thought. From overseas. <laughs> I guess it just there's only like three scenes, I guess, that really use it. So I. Yeah, I don't there know. you go. That could be it. Yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, and much like all these awesome composers, he's eventually he he's been scoring some video games, and then uh, he, he's mainly for the last ten twenty years been scoring Criminal Minds. He's like one of four credited composers on that. So I didn't even know that. Interesting. Mm. Each episode, there's like four composers edited, which is another <laughs> rarity. I'm like, usually it's one or two people. I'm like, four, okay. It kind of amazes me when these guys can do television shows 
and do them really well and for a long time because I would think that that would that way would lie serious musical burnout. <laughs> yeah, I think in the 2000s when at that point when movies or shows had to be just as intense as the movies like Bruckheimer was intense what he was on the bigger small screen every production he produced so it's like I think around that point is like composers is like if it was in the budget is like they're going to give it your all they're looking at the dailies and they're going to do their damn best to just make sure that score you know isn't too loud playing over the audio and, and it just really complements the intense close-ups and you know <laughs> other shocking reveals and i'm sure it has to be a chore because yeah they have to know how high to play the note how many frames the note should last <laughs> right yeah well i assume that they sit it's all digital with, so with but, the stuff in front of them as they score it and then and, uh, you know you have the the grace of having really good synthesizers nowadays so we yes, don't sound yes. like 80s <laughs> 80s adventure <laughs> movies casio keyboards yeah there, yeah exactly <laughs> there's it's even in good movies in the 80s, the soundtracks are sometimes just so terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, it's the, the synthesizer stuff is just awful. And it's, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> or it's, it's whiny fake strings or something like <laughs> that. You know, so if you run into yeah. something that's really good from the 80s, like the stuff that John Carpenter was doing for his own films, like I love his soundtrack for Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China. You know, yeah, it's definitely. Like, it's definitely it's got rock you know rock influences and some synth and and it's hard driving usually and it's not not just namby pamby strings playing behind (laughs) music swells as they fall in love well screw that i want to have hard driving rock and roll while jack burton's driving the his rig down the highway through sheets of rain like hot lead you know (laughs) (laughs) right it would really make a difference now but um now, have you heard of W.G. Snuffy Walden? I don't think I have. You'll like me. You you probably know uh, his scores from more comedic or laid back drama like I'll Fly Away, The Wonder Years, and the original Stephen King's The Stand. But uh, I, I especially fell in love with him just listening to his score for uh, Early Edition and The West Wing. And oh, cool. His other credits include Once and Again, George Lopez, Felicity, and uh, Boomtown and the Drew Carey Show. But he's he he did it. I, I had his expensive soundtrack for West Wing, and he talks like, yeah, I had to teach myself classical music composing just for the score alone. Otherwise, I didn't have the gig. Then, as soon as we got picked up, I switched back to what I was already doing, which was digital. <laughs> 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 this is in 99, so I was like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, to hustle, hustle. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, like I'm a, not, I'm that's not like doing actors, that shit again. And you ask an actor if they can ride a horse, and they always say yes. And then if they get the job, to go and learn to ride a horse, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the life of a career. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting when actors and composers and stuff have those kind of, those kind of that kind of a crossover kind of thing. It's like, yeah. You just, you, and I guess as a writer, you do this too. You're like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they're asking. It's like, yeah. I can, Close I can, enough. <laughs> I can do that. I can, I can write realistic Spanish dialogue, no problem. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I'll fold them. I can't fold them. 
He's currently composing Still Team, and I'm, uh, I would like it if he could definitely get a chance at scoring a video game or an epic movie. So. I'm going to uh, get back into the deep past again, and I'm going to go with Max Steiner, who Max did Steiner. Max famously Steiner. did King Kong. Oh, he, he was mm, Warner okay. Brothers, like house composer, so... Yeah, he basically invented the modern Treasure of the history. Sierra Madre. Oh, baby. Okay. Yeah, look, just look at Steiner's stuff. You, you've got King Kong and Casablanca on it. What more do you need? <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> if you score those two films, you're a genius. You're a god. You don't have to work again. But he did years of really, really good scores. The uh, FBI I mean, story is a really good one, I remember, from what I'm seeing listed here with Jimmy Stewart. I recall that, having a lot of good trumpet. So. Yeah, he was a brilliant composer, and and as I said, the his score for King Kong basically invented how we score pictures now. It has all the the motifs for the, the characters and giant you know. scope that not any kind of frame can just communicate to you. He you have to insert that in order to tell the audience here's what we're going for. Here's why you should be wowed and amazed. And um, you had kind of end to end score too. It wasn't just a little bit of sound here and there. It was like a complete orchestral score for the whole film, which totally. people hadn't really yeah. done done that before in the, the era of talkies. Though sometimes you would get a silent film like Metropolis, where they would create Ooh, a complete yes. score. And the I score to Metropolis, that. I don't remember who did it, but the original score to Metropolis is amazing. Yeah. But when we got to talking pictures, they didn't do that until... Steiner came along and created this, and he did it in uh, King Kong in the most dangerous game were shot about the same time, so it was like he was fi- kind of figuring it out in most dangerous game and then brought it full bore in King Kong. Nice. And you can hear some echoes of that in the Peter Jackson King Kong score when they're in... Oh, I'm sure they have to. When they're in New York and they're doing the King Kong stage play at the end of Peter Jackson's film that goes horribly wrong, they're using music from the original King Kong which is really cool. That's so, a funny Easter egg. Um, <laughs> what's your take on his scores to White Heat, uh, uh, The Searchers, and The Violent Men, Lolo McCain Mutiny? I have, the Searchers yeah. is an amazing film. End to end. I think it's John Wayne's best film. And I love the Kane Mutiny, too. There's a Bogart's performance in that. It's just amazing white heat <laughs> uh james cagney top of yeah. the world ma yeah top of the world <laughs> that that film just astonished me the first time i've seen i saw it because it was just you hear about these old gangster film films that warner brothers and the others are doing warner especially and you think yeah but it's of its time it's really not going to hold up really well but a lot of them really really do you know because the emotional stuff that's hidden within them still resonates today, even if, you know, they're driving different cars and they've got somewhat <laughs> different concerns and none of them have televisions and they don't have iPhones or any of that kind of crap. But still, you know, and the scores are one of the things that, that hold hold all those together. You need them. Yeah. yeah. Do. Another of my old-time favorite guys is Mikolos Rosa. And he's done mm-hmm. just a pile of stuff, but the things that I have sitting on my shelf above my head here <laughs> are the score to Ben-Hur, which is an Ooh. amazing film. The original yes. Ben-Hur. I know there was one a couple of years ago, and I'm like, 
why. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even bother. I never bother with that. So. I mean, uh, you know, the, the first Slurper... one won twelve Academy Awards, the most of all time, right? Well, <laughs> and I forget who did it. Uh, the one singer, her vocals were later in like other movies, like Man on Fire. But I remember her score along with Zimmer was just a total just yeah i mean the movie's already a love letter to movies like ben Hur, but it's like the score is like yeah they they totally had that on repeat while studying their notes <laughs> right but zimmer he uh rosa did things like ben Hur and king of kings so he did kind of the religious epics but he also did some hitchcock stuff that i'm not remembering the name of and he he did uh the harry hausen's golden voyage of sinbad which Ooh. might might be my favorite mm. fantasy film score of all time. It is just end to end brilliant. The only oh, sad thing bad. about it is that he did it during a, some kind of a music strike or they didn't have enough money or something. So he didn't get a full orchestra. He got like a small orchestra. So some of the stuff isn't quite as. I don't know, bombastic's not the right word, but you know how a full orchestra sounds as opposed to when you've got kind of a half orchestra. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's still brilliant. Circle. Part of me would like to hear them redo it just note for note, but with a full orchestra rather than with a smaller orchestra. Because it's a, it's a brilliant... You can tell how many people are in the room. <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. tell. <laughs> and I had to get... Um, I've actually got two copies of that. One I had to get from Europe. And the other one I got, I don't know, from a bootleg guy somewhere or something. Perfect. It's actually, I have the two dicks version that I got from, I don't remember where, and I've got the one disc version from from Europe. But either way, the, the score is great. It's amazing. It's interesting that sometimes these scores that are hard to find and are expensive on CD or vinyl even, you can get them for like six bucks on iTunes or or Amazon Digital. <laughs> so I, I actually picked up Jaws, you know, speaking of John Williams again, I got Jaws 2. I was like, there's a jo John did the soundtrack to Jaws 2. Why don't, why don't I have that? Why don't you get that? I'm, here I am writing a shark book. And I looked and it was like, <laughs> the CD for Jaws 2 cost you 120 bucks, Or it's $6 on iTunes for digital. <laughs> 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 I'm like, what am I, a dope? <laughs> I may love having, you know, a physical thing to hold in my hands, but I'm not going to pay 20 times as much to have a CD sitting on my shelf so I can admire exactly. the jewel case. You know, it's, not, it's not like you've even got a lot of album art on a jewel case. You know, you can't frame it and hang it on the wall. It's too small. So, right. so it's interesting what it you It doesn't deserve it. It needs to be full center and frame. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's my, my quick tip is to never pay scalper prices without first checking iTunes. <laughs> Amazon. Uh, I've used a few others. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there was this one cool one where it was cheaper than both eBay and Amazon combined, where it was pretty good at just kind of just, uh, just, it, it, it would show you what used prices were going on. And I mean, I had plenty of them that were just shipped in from Germany and uh, Spain. And I was just like, yeah, whatever I got to do for this rear soundtrack. And cause like some of them were even pricier just cause like 
the vinyl was more accessible than the CD version. I'm like, I'm in the car, I'm driving around, I need a CD version. <laughs> yep. Yep. Although we've got a, we haven't actually set it up kind of for a while. We have a, a record player that'll actually transfer things onto MP3. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So we need to, my wife and I need to get that set up and transfer some of our, some of our vinyl that's harder to find. Although it's a, it's surprising how much stuff is out there digitally and if it's not out officially some some knucklehead like one of us has put it onto youtube with with a picture right. of the album jacket <laughs> it's like here's four hours from the shadow with an album jacket art <laughs> keep your eyes busy while you listen to it oh so, totally the shadow is another great soundtrack speaking of which you that know, is I know a lot of people didn't like the is that Goldsmith who did that? It is. Goldsmith, yep. Jerry Goldsmith, was. yeah. That's Jerry a, Goldsmith, yep. Jerry that's a, will always be remembered. I mean, and his brother, his son, Joel, did one hell of a job just kind of just staying on his own turf while just kind of proving, you know, when he was, you know, on his deathbed that he could still stand in for his father. But, I mean, yeah. Uh, aside from franchises like, again, Planet of the Apes, and you know, Star Trek, uh, he he's definitely, I think, the first one that really comes to mind for me because I just know that, mm -hmm. you know, L.A. Confidential was such a big one. John might remember his score from Criminal Law, but I mean, yeah, I, I just remember just so many other kinds of movies. He really did navigate pretty well to where it's like I was never surprised when I saw him pop up. It's like, OK, he did that one Jack Ryan movie. He did that one. 13th Warrior. He did the original Mummy, you know, from 99. Yep. He did Air Force One. He did. Air Force One, yeah. He replaced Randy Newman, of all people. And, and uh, Deep Rising, of course, as I always mention every time. I have actually not heard the score for Deep Rising and Congo or Executive Decision outside of the movie, so I would definitely like to check those out. But. Wow, that was weird. <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry about Is that, that somebody's phone? <laughs> Getting musical mine. here. Um, what do you think I of his... we were getting a clip for a minute there. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> What's you guys' take on his score for the Gremlins films and Total Recall? Well, I've always loved his Gremlins scores. They've always been ones I continue to listen to even all the, all these years. And <laughs> I like the I like the score to, uh, to Total Recall, although it. Always reminds me. I think he owes money to Basil Polidorus. I think did, so. Who <laughs> did the the oh, no. amazing score to the original yeah. Conan movie? I know. Uh, which I, think I thought it was him for the longest time. So yeah, it's like. Yeah, because that's that's a, that is a great score. That is one of the scores that I write to yeah. most too. When I'm, especially when I'm writing. When I'm writing fantasy film, I'll I'll load myself up with Bernard Herrmann and I'll slap that one in the, into the mix too. And, yeah. Uh, also get did that. The, also got, did uh, the Omen franchise as well as the first three Rambo's, but um, yeah, uh, people might also know him for doing other stuff like Chinatown and uh, you know Charles Bronson movies. He, he really did kind of just show up in every kind of genre, and I think that's why he did so well. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, and it's interesting that we're you know we're kind of starting to develop, you know we've we've talked about Rami Jawadi and, and Michael Ciccino and a number of these other kind of younger composers, 
that we're we're transitioning <laughs> we're tra transitioning now from people like John Williams. God, God love him. He's still alive, and I have enjoyed even his last three Star Wars soundtracks. Have have lots to enjoy in them. But we're transitioning away from kind of the older guard into into the newer guard now, and a lot of them are happily a lot of them are doing actual orchestral scores. You know, I, d I don't mind electronica, and I don't mind you know tone music and that kind of stuff. It's just got to feel like it belongs, not like a producer you know got into the studio last minute and decided, well, I like this, my kid likes this, this will sell. You know, so, right? Or you've hired yeah. the Hans Zimmer studio and Hans is out that day, so four of his assistants are sitting around let's pressing keys on the synthesizer. Or better yet, let's take a score that he deleted for a good reason because he wasn't proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> So the you know I think I don't know if we're close to wrapping up I think we might be but I think it's we we can mention well, I still like got, one more I still got uh, three of them I can mention real quick Oh okay. yeah go Let's do that Just leave the way Well I got James Horner was one I was gonna mention Oh yeah so, Of course did Aliens yes. Commando Forty Eight Hours and well my all time for my favorite fantasy film he did which was Willow. Yes, great fantasy score. score. And you definitely saw a lot of it in all the other sword play that he scored, like uh, Mask of Zorro. But, I mean, oh, even, even the judge in Gorky Park and Blade Runner, I think, are all very emotional. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, he does a lot of good work. Didn't he step in for Howard Shore on uh, the King Kong soundtrack? Or am I misremembering that? I'm not sure, but I, I was Did thinking he? of I was thinking of mentioning a few others, like Howard Shore, but yeah, it's like it, a lot of the horror scores for even like Philip Glass's Candyman. I think everyone should just sit down and listen to. It'll just blow you away. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've, we've gotten way too far into this without mentioning Ennio Morricone for his western films, but also for things like The Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Morricone, man. There's a reason Tarantino just you know can take his hands off him. <laughs> I gotta use you <laughs> a few more times. We also got one that I find to be very underrated, which is Graham Mavell. Always. The Crow yes. and No the Escape. Siege, man. I had that downloaded on my computer while I was studying <laughs> sometimes, but yeah. Uh, did he do Dark City? Did he do Dark City? Let me check real quick. <laughs> I believe. Yeah. No, he did not. Okay. He didn't negotiate though. Yes, that. Oh, there you go. Similar ninety-eight movies. There you go. Okay. Yeah. In Strange Days and From Dust Till Dawn. Cool. Yeah, Graham always impressed me because he kind of had some of. He and Mark Isom were kind of from the same mm -hmm. place, uh, like uh, Hans Zimmer. He started out scoring drive-in movies and then slowly just really kind of got out of his comfort zone and just started just like you say just kind of mixing in a little electronic new wave music with uh some serious classic symphony it's like and you based on the mood of the scene he would totally change gears that's why a lot of schools was so memorable especially during that time like especially hard target always mentioned with him yeah uh, uh, a lot of movies I've forgotten he scored, but it wasn't because they were on forgettable. It was just like you're you're just so blown away by the movie, and 
you gotta analyze it a few other times to really pick it through it. That's true. And they have speaking of recent composer that I think is slowly becoming one of my favorites is named Lauren Balf. Yes. He did thirteen hours, Gemini Man recently, which actually quite like that score. And even yeah, he were, he came from Singers. Yeah. And he's slowly becoming one of my favorites. And I even liked how he incorporated Mancino's theme from Bad Boys. Okay. It didn't didn't make it too nostalgic for the new Bad Boys film. And that's what I enjoy about that at the most. Huh. Okay. I I definitely remember his score from Gemini Man. Um Recent Mission Impossible, as well as yeah. what was the other one? He did the Tomorrow War and Geostorm. Uh, but yeah, he's been doing a lot of video games. He did the Oscar-nominated Florida Project starring William Defoe. So yeah, there you go. Even Lego Batman. The, <laughs> the crossovers between films and video games now, which I'm yeah. not nearly as up on as I should be. <laughs> well, because after a while, it just kind of got to where it's like, okay, so what? You know, games am I going to play? And that's just it. I kind of just did some of those simple shoot 'em ups because they were just fun homages to the movies we grew up with. And yeah, like, like you say, I mean, some of these guys like Rim Ravel, I think his next to kin has to be Alexander Desplat. And some of them definitely mirrored each yeah. other. Uh, Alan Silvestre and Marco Beltrami, I thought, were kind of just trying to get on the James Horner train. Right. Cool. So and definitely done some good stuff for the Marvel universe though. I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Oh he did, yeah. There. Didn't he write the the little sting that they use at the beginning of all the Marvel movies too? I think that was him. I would and not that, be surprised. I think it was him. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's every time I see that it kind of uplifts me. It's like that was used to be the kind of the thing with the T V yeah. show theme. It would kind of prepare you for the experience of watching the show, whether it was the Rockford Files or you know, or lost in space or whatever. And I, a theme I think really that's... does have to stand out. It can't just be, you know, uh, you know, that's a brief tap dance. And now, you know, we're going away. And I think they learned the hard way when they were just adapting so many different formats. Like they saw a few movies that came out in between 2002 to 07 that kind of were sloppily incorporated in between, you know, like, the theme that you hear on the movie company than the opening theme of the movie itself. And it's like, I think they got better at just, you know, testing the sound in various theaters. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a good kind of logo theme can actually set you up for what you're going to going to see in a movie the same way a TV show theme sets you up for what you're going to see. And I think Marvel's done an exceptional job of that. It's like, it's like the old days with the, the Star Wars franchise when it when it was at Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox and you would get that 20th Century <laughs> Fox fanfare. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, you always remember that every time. Love it. <laughs> and you'd get that whole setup and you were ready. And then John Williams just hit you with that opening chord and suddenly you were, you know, far ago, and long ago and far, far away. And just... That's that's part of what music does. It's supposed to take you to wherever you're going. Oh, totally. oh definitely. Shows and video games. And, Absolutely. Uh, 
it's great that we've got so many people continuing to practice this art and doing it at such a high level. You know, that for every, you know, uh, Elmer Bernstein, who did the Magnificent Seven and Ten Commandments, for every one of those people that we lose, we're, we're gaining a new a new person that's got a lot of talent and enthusiasm. And that's that's why, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to collect film scores until the day I die. Oh, they're, they're a must, because like you say, you want the, to just kind of have a cool visual while you're driving. Um some of the ones who are inspired by, you know, so many people, you can just kind of, you you can totally tell. I mean, it's just unmistakable. Um, I really love Don Davis. He kind of disappeared after a while, just kind of scoring some uh, Japanese and Australian films. But I'll never forget how, you know, just, again, seeing the first Matrix, how I was like, yeah, this guy is totally John Williams' influence. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And he even replaced him on Jurassic Park Free, and I was like, I'll oh, say what you want about the movie, but that score is good. I have his rare score. I actually to... like three better than two. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm uh, not saying the score I necessarily like better three, but as a film, I enjoyed three more than I enjoyed two. Well, hell, I, I can definitely recommend even his scores for Ballistic, uh, Universal Soldier yeah. 2, uh, Turbulence 2. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie. Even like House on a Hill, I thought was a very underrated score from him. That was a good score. Uh, I I own the very rare uh, album for Behind Enemy Lines. <laughs> okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he even released the soundtrack for Enter the Matrix. So there you go. But um, he, yeah, he's done a bunch of other TV movies and indie films, and I think he's pretty appre- underappreciated. He was appreciated at the time, but it seems like it's like. Yeah, I'd like to see him get a little more fanfare. And the most cre- recent credits I could find for him, it seemed like he was just, like doing backup orchestration, like including for some movies like Toy Story 4. So I think he just found out, I was like, hey, even if I'm not going to be the main guy composing all the music, I'll still, you know, be part of the mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I mean, that's that's the way the Zimmer studio, I think, used to work. Is like they have a lot of guys like that that would... If I can't know, do it, my... My current dude, who I, I know is, is the man, you know, I will put in a word for him. <laughs> right. I think that backfired on Zimmer in the Pirates of the Caribbean, though, because I think he thought that was going to be a crap movie, assigned it to someone else in his studio, you know, so it's like <laughs> Klaus Medlet of the Hans Zimmer studio. I want you! <laughs> and suddenly the movie's a big hit, and he's like, oh, crap, I should have done those myself. <laughs> And then he does three very mediocre sequels to it. <laughs> well, I can't miss. I totally forgot. One thing I forgot to mention is James Bond theme from John Barry. John Barry. Yes. Uh, him and David Arnold. You know. David Arnold, yep. You can like Thomas Newman. It's not the same without David Arnold and John Barry. It's not. And. I personally kind of think Thomas Newman's a little overrated other than Road to Perdition. But yeah, it's like people were just swooning over his Skyfall theme. And I'm like, this feels like a theme for a different movie. This isn't a James Bond score. I need a little more trumpet. Although I actually don't mind the old Night score. I don't mind the very few who thinks that. Yeah, people complained about Eric Serra's GoldenEye score. It's like, I couldn't tell. I still can't tell. It's I loved his score for Leon the Professional and Nikita, so why wouldn't I love it for that one? <laughs> People. 
I think your priorities straight. John Ferris <laughs> score for Thunderball, I think, was probably the first soundtrack LP that I ever owned as a kid. Hmm. Nice. Very early on. It's like one of the first records I remember. Take out, did you ever have anything on a cassette tape? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Those cassettes were after LPs, though. <laughs> we were cleaning out our garage about five years ago. We still are, but we, we found a... Beverly Hills Cop 2 <laughs> car scene. Oh, nice. There. I was like, that's well. The trouble with cassettes is that they always, there's so many moving parts. Yeah. There's the, a lot to go wrong with them. Much and like a usually tape. The, one, the ones you got from the stores, you know, the professional ones, were usually actually worse than the ones, you, if you bought just a good Memorex tape, did it yourself, it would sound better and last longer than one of these ones you'd get through the Columbia House or, you know, yeah, the, RCA records <laughs> off the music store, which suddenly you'd be listening and you'd be going, and kind of creaking and stuff. So, yeah, yeah cassette, cassettes and eight tracks were not. Um, Even there was cars a lot stopped carrying stuff like that. There was like a that. lot of stuff that went wrong with those. <laughs> yeah, they were not kind to of it, so that's why they can discontinue the formula. It's like, yep, it's got to be on a disc or it's got to be on a record. It's got to be one of those circles. It can't be two circles yeah. like a video videotape. It just doesn't, for whatever reason, it just wasn't well wound together. Right, yeah, you know, and we all know how we've all seen videotapes get eaten by machines and cassette tapes were even no, no, no. Yeah. tracking <laughs> even more flimsy than that so uh, you know and and eight track tapes were also subject to that kind of stuff though i always have fond memories of uh, driving across the country to come out to wisconsin to go to gen con and listening to the score of the lord of the rings by leonard roseman the uh, the bakshi animated one which i transferred on and i still love that score it transferred that onto an eight eight track to stick in my mom's van, <laughs> my mom's VW okay. van, eight track player, driving across the country to that. So it, it, it had some fun stuff, but we were better off with LPs and CDs <laughs> or even MP3s. <laughs> Although MP3s, yeah. something goes wrong, they're done, baby. There's they're done, do. baby. No more. <laughs> no, I'm a physical media guy still. Which is why well, my I am too. Full of physical media. Full of it. All of it. I probably only have two, three hundred CDs in my studio here. <laughs> and more upstairs. So. Oh man. Uh, I'm sure we're forgetting something, but I think that's. Uh, we we it's, it was inevitable. Uh, I definitely recommend any of the scores you hear in any George Romero movie because he really did have a way of making you be very emotionally involved with what was going on. Anyone else would have just gone with something just randomly melodramatic or gloomy and i think he really especially his caribbean mix on day of the dead i thought was really good cool yeah i don't think i have any in romero soundtracks in my collection i have to, I have to see if they're available out. they gotta be out there they can't just be a blu-ray special feature <laughs> oh i gotta mention danny elfman as well oh how Danny elfman danny yes elfman. The Spider-Man one the, gives me... The Frighteners, the Frighteners I always mention also. I didn't know it, the Batman. Batman. Every other superhero Tim Burton movie. The Batman was so good that they used it for the animated series, too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his Batman... Made some moolah. Really... Well, hell. <laughs> People try some of the sequel, but, I mean, Terminator Salvation score was actually pretty good. 
Like, I, I got chills listening to that one. And I was like, yeah, that's even more intense than the actual movie. <laughs> that's <what goes> for. <laughs> cool. You guys mentioned Randy Newman earlier. He's done some great scores, too. The story, yes. Toy Story ones, the, the natural is something I've got, you know, above my head here. Uh, my so, dad could definitely memorize that score to a T. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant score. There's so many people out there doing such great work and have been since you know the the advent of sound motion pictures in the 1929 and 30 they've been collecting them yeah i mean i haven't even mentioned salter and skinner who did a lot of the classic wolfman and and bride of frankenstein mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. there's so many good soundtracks so out there. many so many you know you just listen to them and nothing else and we didn't even talk about you know we talked about how good tarantino's picks are for things like kill bill and his his soundtracks that are composed entirely of pop. He kind of goes like stuff. Michael Mann, where he chooses which ones are going to be original songs made by like five different artists, and then yeah, mix it in with like a composer who he just adored. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a lot of good, lot of good scores out there, a lot of good soundtracks. Absolutely. Find, find your favorite, write to it. I mean, I just did a, you know, I. I read a, a very inexpensive book that had some good tips on writing, but one of the tips that said, okay, when you're done all that, you're ready to sit down and write, find a piece of music you re- that really inspires you and put it on the, put it on your player, whatever that player happens to be. <laughs> yes. And that's what I do. That's I, the way I write every day. <laughs> Usually those of us that do a lot of writing don't write to things that have words because the words can kind of get it corrupts your writing. <laughs> it corrupts your uh, your thinking. You start singing along or something, and suddenly you're no longer writing about dinosaurs. Suddenly you're walking down the street in the rain. <laughs> what if it's or, just very loud metal or electronic music? <laughs> whatever works for you, man. You know, I can write to some things that have lyrics, but they have to be things that I'm really, really familiar with. So I'm not going to suddenly be distracted by it you know it's like i could put on the beatles or i could put on the beach boys or or queen or you know some of the people that i play a lot but mostly i'm going to be listening to john williams or i'm going to be listening to bernard herman or i'm going to be listening to one at max steiner or one of these or michael giacchino one of these really good soundtrack composers hell even the score I I know I have somewhere on my computer the opening score to Inside the Actor Studio. I bought that off iTunes. <laughs> it's like there are just some scores. It's like that just puts me in a different place. Put that on. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! You know I don't care I mean, if anyone makes fun go of me. TV TV themes. I'll uh, I'll throw on the Green Hornet score. If I really <laughs> want to amp myself up, or or Johnny Quest, the original Johnny Quest score, which is like all trombones. Which uh, it's funny. I heard. Uh, I think Hoyt, uh, Hoyt Curtin wrote that, and I heard that he was really mad at the tuba or the trombone players, so he wrote Johnny the Johnny Quest theme, so it was almost literally impossible to play <laughs> the trombone. It's like all trombones are the main, <laughs> main musical instrument, and they're just constantly having to move that slide back and forth, so it's got kind of this almost a little sloppy sound to it because he wrote it just to be so difficult to play because <laughs> he hated these trombone things. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so yeah, TV themes, whatever, whatever's good for you, man. There's a lot of great music out there. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on here. Uh, feel free to promote some stuff. If not, I think we'll call it a night. That's one hell of a list we came up with. Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. It's fabulous. You go ahead. If you get something to plug, go ahead. And I, I always have more things to plug than I need. <laughs> I don't. You can go, you can go ahead. Enjoy. All right. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're in a mood for a Halloween thing, Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is still out. It's at a new, nicer price. So you'll be able to check that out. Uh, in time for Halloween, and uh, I hate when you know your phone rings and you hit the turn off button, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Uh, people are calling in. I want to buy the book. Um, right. So, yeah, that'd uh, be good. Uh, I also want to plug uh, Monster Shark on a nude beach again, which you can go to my site. Buff. So you do beach. a lot of sci-fi horror tribute kind of stuff. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of uh, <laughs> monsters are us. That's who I am. You know, adventure guaranteed, monsters included. <laughs> so you go to adventure my site, sdsullivan.com, and see a lot of what I'm up to. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> so if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say, ah, 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 all that good fun stuff. <laughs> well. <laughs> you. <laughs> don't, don't, don't run the listeners away, Peach. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.
As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOH Pod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love your movies We love the bad ones, too 
So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit It's time to get busy with your friend Steven at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I am your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier, Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. 
There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet. And in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked